Our Old Testament reading this morning is from Psalm 126, verses 1 through 6. This is another of the songs of ascents, and by ascent, that means to go up, to ascend, and this is one of the songs that people would sing as they are going up to Jerusalem for the various festivals. And so as you are approaching a holiday, a holy day in Israel, you go up to Jerusalem, and this is one of the songs you sing. And so as we approach Christmas, we have been reading from these songs of ascents. And we will begin this morning with Psalm 126. But before we do, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for this day that you have made. And God, we thank you for your word that you have given to us. Lord, we hear so many words day in and day out. Words from without, words from within. Lord, we pray that you would tune our ears and our hearts, that we would hear your word, that we would hear it clearly, that we would be shaped more by your word than we are by all the other words added together. But Lord, we know that you, you are the one who is, you are the one who loves, you are the one who truly has our best interest in mind. Lord, help us this morning to hear your word again. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 126, a song of ascents. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. Restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. Turning then to our New Testament reading. As Jesus tells another parable of the kingdom of heaven. It says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, You also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again at about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, Why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, You also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? 
Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We are looking at uh, some of the small books in the New Testament as we um, continue our approach to Christmas and uh, looking at these small things that have pack a big punch. And today we're actually going to be looking again at the book of Titus. We'll be looking at Titus 1, 5 through 16. Uh, But before we get into that, I have a question for you, and that is, how do you know if someone is a Christian? How do you know if someone is a Christian? Is it because of what they tell you? Is it because of the church they belong to? Is it because they pass a multiple choice quiz? How do you know if someone is a Christian? That is actually one of those questions that... uh, until we really start thinking about it, it almost is assumed it would be easy. And then once you start thinking about it, you go, well, now hold on a second. <laughs> I'm not sure I could know. And in fact, that is one of the, the teachings that we have throughout Scripture is it's not our judgment call to put that on others. In fact, Jesus says in Matthew 7, do not judge or you too will be judged for the, in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And one of the reasons why he's telling us not to judge is because he's the judge. We're not the judge. (laughs) Because he's the only one who actually knows what's going on in the heart of hearts for each person. Problem with this is, then we go, so I guess if we can't know anything, then we're not to, you know, make wise decisions in how we deal with people at all? (laughs) Well, no. In... um, Later on in that same chapter in Matthew 7, he says, Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A bad tree cannot, or a good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit you will recognize them. So Jesus is saying, We're supposed to have some kind of discernment when it comes to people who are claiming to be Christians, but aren't. And why does he say that we're to do this? Well, one, because we're not to follow these people. And then two, how is it that we're to do this? And it is not to listen to how they, uh, not to listen to what they say, not um, not to look at how they present themselves, but to look at the fruit to look at the fruit of their lives as though uh, they are a tree that is growing and every kind of tree has a certain kind of fruit. And he says the way you identify a tree is by looking at the kind of fruit that it produces. And um, so look at the fruit. Look at the kind of things that are coming uh, from them. And then you'll see if this is someone you should be following or not. Now, this is an important distinction because we're going to get into something in Titus here um, where the question that we are looking at is not... uh, how can we tell if someone is a Christian? The question that we're asking today is, what kind of people uh, should we be following? 
What kind of people should we not be following? And what kind of people should we be growing up into? Those are the questions we're asking. And I want to put that out there ahead of time so that as we're reading this, we're not thinking that we're asking the question, you know, that we're not addressing the question of who is and isn't a Christian. We'll leave that decision for Jesus because he is the true and right judge who actually knows. Um, but it's still important, as he has pointed out, for us to know who we ought to be following and who we should not be following and what kind of people we need to be growing up into. So this is uh, Titus 1, starting in verse 5 and going on through verse uh, 16. And uh, be kind of doing this in overview form. Here we go. Verse, starting verse 5. No, sorry, I forgot. I've got to tell you what's going on here first. This is Paul writing to Titus, who he has left on the island of Crete, uh, with a particular purpose, which he's going to address here. But let me summarize. Uh, they've gone through the island of Crete in the Mediterranean Sea. They've planted churches. They've been going around telling people the good news of Jesus, and people have been receiving this uh, news with great joy, and they have said, yes, I'm in. And so they have started these uh, house churches all over that island, and, uh, but then they have moved on from there. And so now what uh, Titus is being sent back to do is to go back from church to church and make sure that the people who are leading these churches are the people who are following Jesus. That's important. <laughs> Here's how he writes it. Paul says, The reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint, every, and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. An elder must be blameless, faithful to his wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Since an overseer manages God's household, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. For there are many rebellious people, full of meaningless talk and deception, especially those of the circumcision group. They must be silenced because they are disrupting whole households by teaching things they ought not to teach, and that for the sake of dishonest gain. <laughs> One of Crete's own prophets has said it. Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. This saying is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply so that they will be sound in the faith and will pay no attention to Jewish myths or to the merely human commands of those who reject the truth. To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. In fact, both their minds and consciences are corrupted. They claim to know God, but by their actions they deny him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. Yeesh. Told you we weren't going to spend a lot of time on joy today <laughs> for this sermon. And it does uh, end on kind of a downer of a note there, doesn't it? Detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. Um, but really what Paul is looking at here is he is looking at the situation in Crete where you have people who are living up to the reputation that Crete has. As even one of their own uh, prophets has put it, that they're always liars, 
evil brutes, lazy gluttons. Think about what each of those means. These are people who will say something that is not true. Why? Probably as a way to serve their own uh, agenda. They're, when they interact with each other, how do they interact? As humble servants? No, as evil brutes. <laughs> as those who are more like violent beasts than they are as those who have been commanded to love one another. And as lazy gluttons, when they're not fighting, <laughs> they're just laying around doing nothing but stuffing themselves. Self-serving, self-serving, self-serving. That is kind of the culture and the reputation of Crete. And Paul says, and that's right. They have been living up to this reputation. Here's the thing. We have gone through and we've been telling people the good news of Jesus, that there is a different way than this. And many people have responded with joy and they have accepted this message. But here's the problem. Once we left, and this is one of the problems that uh, John and Elizabeth talked about years ago when they were here talking about what happened at churches in Africa when missionaries would come through and they would tell people the good news of Jesus and then they would leave. And what happens? People respond. They're great. They want to follow, but there aren't mature leaders there to lead. And so does that mean there's no leadership? No, someone will step up. (laughs) Someone will step up to lead or several people will step up to lead, but they're not leading in the way of Jesus. They're leading in, you know, whatever their best ideas are, and that's where they go. And then what the problem is, is if the people who are leading aren't following Jesus, then they're leading people to not follow Jesus. You see the problem? (laughs) That, That seems pretty obvious when you stop and think about it. And that is the problem that was happening in Crete, is people had stepped up to lead who weren't following Jesus. These were people who were being more shaped by the culture of Crete than they were by the person of Jesus. These were people also who, uh, sometimes they were being more shaped by the culture of Crete, sometimes they were being shaped more by the the Jewishness of the old covenant than they were by the new covenant of Jesus. And so Paul has several different directions that he's kind of fighting against here and saying, we're not trying to take people back to the old covenant, to live under that. We're not trying to have them live as the Gentiles of Crete either. Either one of those is the wrong choice, and they might be fighting with each other over which way is the right way to go, and he's like, it's all wrong. What we need to do is actually be having people leading who are following Jesus, who are being shaped more by him than by anything else who have these Jesus-shaped lives, that's who needs to be leading. So Titus, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go kind of church to church. I want you to be looking for these kinds of people. And we're going to go through this list a little bit, but the basic idea is this, and I think it's important to put it in these these terms. What Paul is doing, he's not giving a a once-for-all checklist that if people don't uh, meet all of these things, they cannot be leaders in any way. I don't think that's what he's doing. I think it gets used like that a lot. And so there are people who uh, get disqualified for ministry that actually shouldn't be. (laughs) On the other hand, sometimes people take this and they just throw it out and say, okay, if that's not what it is, then let's not use that at all. And then people end up in positions of leadership 
who shouldn't. So what is it that he's doing here? And I think what he's doing here is he's got kind of everybody on sort of this continuum of what it's like to follow Jesus. Like if you have all the way, you know, like a one to 10 kind of thing, and a 10 is somebody who is absolutely 100% committed to following Jesus. And a zero is somebody who wants nothing to do with Jesus. And what he's saying is, as you look along this uh, kind of spectrum the people that you want leading the church are the people who are as far this way as you can find. <laughs> That's what he's saying. And so as you look at the descriptions that he gives for those who are to be appointed as elders and versus those who are to be silenced in the church, <laughs> he says those who are closer to this end, that's who ought to be leading. And those who are closer to this end, that's who ought not to be leading. That's who needs to be rebuked for a particular reason we'll get to in a second. So here's... Here's how he puts it. And thinking in those terms, I think this makes sense. He says, um, An elder must be blameless, faithful to his wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Since Since an overseer manages God's household, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self controlled upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Are you hearing this? I mean, he could just stop short and just say, look for people who are following Jesus, right? But he does spell it out in ways that contrast the culture of Crete. Today, we uh, live in a culture where there, you know, if you're interviewing for someone to work for you, there are certain questions you can't ask. Because the idea is, what you're really asking is, can they do the job? And as long as they can do the job, then you know what? We're not going to ask these other kinds of questions. And that makes sense in some places. But what Paul is saying is, when it comes to leadership in the church, you need to be looking at their family. Look at whether or not this person is uh, faithful to their spouse. Look at whether or not this person is raising their kids in the Lord. Why? Why does that matter? As long as they can, you know, preach on Sunday, who cares how they treat their family? (laughs) Really? (laughs) Because it's not about doing the job. It's about leading as this kind of a person leading people to follow Jesus in the way that they're following. And you cannot lead where you're not going. And so it says if somebody is not living this out at home, they're not really living it out. And so if this isn't showing up in their relationship with their spouse, that ought to be a red flag. If they are not raising their kids to follow Jesus, that ought to be a red flag. Do they really believe this stuff or not? Or is this, uh, as he mentions, you know, the dishonest gain? He mentions that twice here. That people are, might be doing this as a way, uh, well, hey, got to make a living somehow, so I guess we'll do the preaching thing. It's like, no, that's disgusting. People who are leading in the church ought to be people who are leading out of a genuine conviction. This is the, the right way. This is, Jesus is the Savior of the world. 
who have uh, taken that in personally and who are living that out in every area of their life. Does this mean that they have to be a perfect person? No. Good luck, Titus, on finding a perfect person in Crete. (laughs) Not going to find it. But these are the kinds of things you ought to be looking for. That even if they're not perfect, that this is what they're going for. Um, One of the, (laughs) I mean, one of the qualifications has to do with the, the children. You can't make your children do a whole lot of things. But the question isn't, uh, are the children perfect children? But is this person raising them in, a, in the way of Jesus? Uh, that is the idea. Uh, the same kind of thing when it comes to you know, not being overbearing, not being quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Like, the whole idea is this is supposed to be a person who is genuinely seeking to follow Jesus. And you can see it by the fruit of their lives. Does that make sense? I hope so. And, uh, and of course, verse 9, it's not just about the things they're doing, but it is about the message that they are holding to, the trustworthy message as it has been taught. Because it's not just about going around doing good stuff or being a decent person. It is the good news of Jesus. This is what Paul has left there. This is, this is the trustworthy message that he came with, um, that these people initially received. And he says, that's what needs to keep going. So if you have people who are, you know, respectable in the community, but they're not holding to the trustworthy message of Jesus, like, mm-mm. no, that's not what we're talking about. <laughs> we're not talking about people who just look good by uh, societal standards. We're looking for people who are following Jesus. And in order to do that, they need to be holding uh, firmly to this trustworthy message as it has been taught. There will be a lot of pressure to change the message or to do away with the message or to preach a different message. No. They must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught. Why? So they can encourage others as they're leading other people to follow Jesus, uh, encourage others by sound doctrine, and refute those who oppose it. So as others come against it to say, nope, <laughs> that's not... That's not the way. We, we have heard uh, from Paul about Jesus. This is what it is. And the reason he says uh, to look for elders in this way is because this isn't everybody. And in fact, a lot of people, not only on the island of Crete, but a lot of people within the churches on the island of Crete are exactly the kind of people that Jesus was talking about in the Sermon on the Mount, that are the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ferocious wolves. And so these are the people that uh, Paul is concerned about. And he says, there are many rebellious people. People who, if you remember the scale we were talking about, you have 10 on this end, zero on this end. There are people who are really wanting to follow Jesus. He's like, those are the people you should be appointing as elders. Those are the ones who should be in positions of leadership in uh, the church. On the other end of the scale, you're going to find people who are claiming to follow Jesus, but they're actually being rebellious. They don't want anything to do with him. They don't want anybody else to have anything to do with him. They want to take people back to the old covenant, or they want to take people back to the culture and the idolatry of Crete. 
They'll be in the church. They will give lip service to all the stuff you're saying, but they're rebellious, and they're full of meaningless talk and deception. Well, if they're deceived, I mean, this is right back to the Garden of Eden, by the way, (laughs) the serpent that's full of meaningless talk and deception. But if they're full of deception, how do you not get deceived? And that is where it's important to go back to that message from before, being able to, the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that you can encourage others and refute those who oppose it, to be able to tell the difference. I heard years ago of the way that, that banks would teach people to identify counterfeit money. And of course, there are certain things that most dollar bills would have on them, security features and those sorts of things. And yes, you can teach somebody, a uh, bank teller, here's how to identify that. You, you know, use the marker on here. You look for the, hold it up to the light and look for the... And yes, there are some good things to point out that way. But they said mostly the way they would train them is just to have them handle lots and lots and lots of real dollar bills. The more they handled real money the less all the variations of fake money would fool them. Because it could come to the point where somebody could hand them a fake $100 bill and they might take that and go, this isn't real. And you could say to them, how do you know? And they would say, I don't know. (laughs) But there's something off about it. There will be people who are full of meaningless talk, who are full of deception, And that deception can come in so many different forms. So how do we know? Do we need to learn all the different ways that that comes? No, there are some helpful things, sure. But the main thing is, keep on holding firmly to the trustworthy message. We keep on following Jesus. We keep looking for people who are following Jesus, and we try to follow them. Paul says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. If we realize that we are following people in this world and we t- stop and take a step back and we evaluate and we say, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. I am following people who are shaping my heart and these are people who are on the wrong end of this scale. Maybe I need to stop following them. Maybe I need to stop letting them shape my heart more into uh, the culture that they are a part of, rather than shaping me to have a Jesus-shaped life. Paul critiques the culture of Greeks of, of Crete. And here's the thing. Every culture is going to have values and um, things that they accept and things they reject. And every culture that we are a part of will have a shaping influence on us. And every culture, whether Crete or whatever we find ourselves a part of, every culture needs to be critiqued by Jesus. And we'll have areas where it falls short. And we need to be very careful that we are following Jesus rather than these other shaping forces. In Romans 12, Paul opens that famously. And verse 2 says, 
Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. This is what Paul's talking about. There's a culture of of Crete. I keep saying that. There's a culture of Crete. There's a culture of Judaism. And Paul says, what I'm saying is something different than all of that. That Jesus has come into this world and has has taught what is true and has given his life for us and has called us to follow him. And so even when he's talking about the reason that these people must be silenced because they're leading people away from Jesus and saying how they must be rebuked, do you even hear how he says they must be rebuked? It's not just like, oh, make sure that you publicly blast them and point out how they're wrong so that everyone will stay away from... No, He says, therefore, this is verse 13, rebuke them sharply. Why? So that they will be sound in the faith and will stop following these other things. Paraphrasing. In other words, the people who are actually leading in the wrong way, he says, look, let them know because you love them too. That that's not the right way to lead. That's not the right way to go. That they need to be following Jesus as well because he is the good news for everybody. And that means them too. And then he gets into this final section. This is where we're going to end. To the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. In fact, both their minds and consciences are corrupted. They claim to know God, but by their actions they deny him. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for doing anything good. It's right back again to the fruit that's coming out of their lives. It's right back to this idea of what it is that they're doing. Are they doing good or are they not doing good? And that makes us, especially as Protestant Christians, real nervous. Because we don't want to say that it's by doing good works that we're saved. And of course, it's not by doing good works that we're saved. But I've talked about this before in terms of the scales that we kind of have in mind. That sometimes we have in mind that um, judgment is based on some sort of scales of justice where we have all of our good works on one side and all of our bad works on the other side. And as long as I do you know, enough good works to outweigh the bad works, then hopefully someday... Uh, when judgment comes, then I will be you know, get to go to heaven or whatever. That, that's the idea that a lot of people have, and that is the idea that is somewhat inherent in religion in general. It's not the gospel. In the gospel, what we have is a message that the best deeds that we have don't go on the good side of the scale. All our righteousness is actually as filthy rags, and so even the best things that we do are still weighing the scale the wrong direction. And so you say, well, I just need to do more good things, and it still just keeps going over here. (laughs) And then we reach the point of saying, well, then where is the hope? If there's nothing I can do, what is the point? Why do I do anything at all? Say, well, here's the good news. This is your situation apart from Christ. But Jesus Christ has come into the world, and he has taken the sin off (laughs) all of your bad deeds, off, the scale. And he's put all of his good deeds on the scale. And he has died for us and he has been resurrected uh, to a new life that we can live in him with this being the situation. This is our situation. And so Paul says to the pure, those who uh, who are living in this kind of a situation who say, yes, that is the message. This is what I accept. This is what I believe in. This is what I'm walking in and living in and trusting in for all the rest of the days of my life. So if this is the situation, it says then yeah, you're pure. And you know what? 
when you try to do, uh, when you mess up, when you're trying to follow Jesus and you mess up, it doesn't change this situation. But it says, but if you reject the truth, you're still in this situation. It doesn't matter how good you're trying to do things. It's not good. This is why he says to the pure, all things are pure. Even, even when we mess up, if we are those who are quick to repent and uh, just write back in humility saying, Jesus, I, I messed up again. It's okay. Keep following me. The pure, all things are pure. But to those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. In fact, both their minds and consciences are corrupted. They claim to know God, but by their actions, they deny him. They're detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. What's Paul's point here? Don't put these people in charge. (laughs) Don't follow people who are leading away from Jesus. And so uh, I said we had three questions we were looking at today. One is, who is it that we're supposed to be following? We're supposed to be following followers of Jesus. Well, how do we recognize them? As Jesus says, by their fruit, you'll recognize them. Two, uh, who should we not be following? It's those who, no matter what it is they're saying, whether they're using God's name or not, the ones who are leading away from Jesus, to trust in something besides Jesus. So we're not to be following. And then three, what about us? Who is it that we are to be growing into? How is it we're to be growing up in all of this? And I think that's the other point of looking for these elders. But this is not a way of dividing uh, the church between those who are uh, you know, elders and those who are regular people. <laughs> elders in the church are those who have been following Jesus longer. And the elders in the church is what everybody's supposed to be growing into. Does that make sense? That there is no, you know, regular people kind of thing. Everybody's a regular person. (laughs) And everybody should be on this road of maturing in Christ and seeking to live out following him in every part of our lives. At home, with our families, at work, at church, all of it. And so who should we be? following in this world it's those who are following jesus who should we not be following those who are not following jesus (laughs) and what kind of people should we be growing into those who are in everything seeking to follow jesus with everything we are in every area of our life in the name of the father the son and the holy spirit amen Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made. We thank you for your word that you've given to us. Lord, this is a, uh, a difficult word and a challenging word because it's an easy thing uh, to try to make light of or ignore. instead of making changes we might need to make. 
a holy child of Bethlehem. Descend on us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in. Be born in us today. Lord, help us. Help us to follow you for real. Show us where we need to change and help us to welcome this as good news in our life. As we turn from the ways that lead to death, And turn again to you, the author and giver of life and of a new life. For we can do good in this world. Not because we are good, but because you are good. Oh, we pray all of this. In the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray. Saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.